1: Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deefe. On the show today, Channel 4's payouts and pay cuts. Why might rewarding staff who got the broadcaster through prioritisation be a bad look at the moment? Also on the programme, GB News sticks the knife into This Morning. There's another UK podcast company acquisition. And what can we expect from the acting chair of the BBC? All that, plus in the media quiz, we play a game of backed, left, or sacked. That's all to come in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Succession came to an end, leaving a void in many a media creative's watch list. And just a reminder that for all the hype, the final ep reached just 2.9 million in the US, and that's a season high. Still a great show, though. Closer home, The Evening Standard has a new editor after a number of years without the position filled officially. Dylan Jones has his work cut out, with the paper still recovering from a post-COVID drop-in footfall in London. And the much-loved comedy Drop the Dead Donkey is returning as a stage play next year. All of the remaining cast are back and it's been written by Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkin who created the series in the first place. We'll find out whether the Globelink team are able to cope with the chaos of fake news and AI. Now joining me from the beating heart of Hoburn here at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back media writer Maggie Brown. Hi Maggie. Hello. Uh, So Richard Sharp's gone and there's an acting chair in Elan Closs Stevens, say that correctly, formerly of S4C, um, what do we know about her? Well, I know quite a bit about her. She's a native
3: Welsh speaker. She lives in Aberystwyth, which I have actually visited at her invitation. (laughs) Uh, She's a very, she's in her 70s. She looks like a a Welsh granny in some ways. I mean, I'm not being, it's just, she appears very comforting and uh, very kindly, but she's got a very sharp brain. She's uh, basically built up uh, a whole department in communications and media at Aberystwyth, which, of course, in, involves the Welsh language too. But she has done a, a huge number of public uh, roles, um, and she's actually... Uh, been a chair of s4c she has been on the welsh language board Uh, i mean she probably has about 10 appointments now (laughs) Uh, and she stands the real point about her is that she stands very very firmly for public service broadcasting she is the complete opposite although i'm sure she charmed him the complete opposite uh, of richard sharp and when you look at the potential of that board for putting forward a chairman or chairperson who will hold the fort while they have a proper look around for somebody who's suitable, Uh, there are are not many choices. Mm. And they couldn't really have put the deputy, who is also a merchant banker by background. So um, I'm very optimistic, actually, about her, because what the BBC needs now is somebody who can say, we really do stand for public service broadcasting for things which improve people's lives we are behind again the nations both wales and scotland as well because there's as well as this going on there's been quite a long debate still going on actually in parliament and beyond about uh, the provision of broadcasting in wales in particular because you know it's a devolved, it shouldn't it, it isn't a devolved power they kind of think it should be but You can imagine they're
1: very very much like getting involved, and especially with Ofcom, uh, they they definitely hear from their Welsh group uh, quite a lot.
3: They do, and funnily enough, the it's become sharper really, uh, rather than less sharp. Yet at the same time, the Welsh language is being given a lot more respect in Wales, in terms of uh, both signposting and just it's no longer. A, a, a joke. It, it's 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 an advantage if you like to speak Welsh. So- well,
1: the BBC is definitely less sharp um, uh, for uh, the, the time being. Mm. Um, I guess we'll see Alan as an interim uh, chair. Yes. Uh, do we know when when we think? The governments will opine on who on who re- replaces. They Richard? haven't. They
3: haven't told me. I mean, he goes <laughs> at the end of June. Mm. Uh, I think probably they're thinking six months or so. It okay. took them a long time, remember, to appoint him in the first place, and so I think. I'm feeling actually quite confident, too, in Lucy Fraser, the current Culture Secretary, who seems to me to make a lot more sense than the ones that, <laughs> that have... Well, certainly Nadine Doris, let's put it
1: that way. Well, let's see if she can manage more than a year, which would be a pretty good record for uh, DCMS secretaries. Um, and next to Maggie, we have audio consultant and Radio Techcon Con Supremo, uh, Anne Charles. Hi, Anne. Hello. Um, and I see some news uh, just just come in that Bauer have been fined for switching off their AM transmitters. They've uh, been fined 25 grand. Uh, by Ofcom, that's um, not not bad, is it for them? It's not a bad not a bad fine. Their
2: calculated risk paid off. I've just read the judgment, and there are pages and pages of Ofcom purporting to explain how it did the maths, and then the very last paragraph is just it's just this amount. <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, because they had to, uh, they sort of had to find them because yes. the broadcasting says If you hand back a license, you get fined. Yeah. But everyone at Ofcom and everyone and everywhere else just knows it was probably the right thing to do.
2: Well, yeah, especially because the government's released a document saying at some point AM should probably be switched off and other parts of the industry are thinking about switching off AM or have reduced their services. So, yeah, uh, they've been fined 25%. Grand, which probably would be less than the electricity bill will be for <laughs> pumping out AM for the next year,
1: anyway. So, yeah, and I think it yeah. definitely, definitely saves some money. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about money over to Horse Free Road and the news that Channel 4's top team are in line for a 15 million pound payout. Uh, also, at the same time as cost cutting has begun in the commissioning budget. Um, I mean, Anne, um, Chief uh, Exec Alex Marne, uh, could pocket 1.4 million. Uh, from from this deal or from these bonuses. Uh, Beck 2 aren't that happy about it though, are they?
2: Well, so Beck 2's point on this is that whilst all that's going on, and that's very lovely if you happen to be one of the executives concerned on your £1.5 million or whatever, uh, if you are a freelance and you have just had your project cancelled at short notice and you're getting two weeks severance pay but you thought that you'd signed up to do... At work on a series, then that's a little bit galling to have the announcements around the same time.
1: I mean, Maggie, executive pay is always in the news. Um, do you think uh, the management team have deserved it by fending off privatisation?
3: Well, I do, actually. Um, this isn't a callous uh, <laughs> <laughs> response because I also sympathise hugely mm. for other reasons with uh, the, the members of BEC2 and the people who actually toil and make the programmes. The, the point about Channel 4... Is that it cannot give any equity to its top team, so there's always been a problem. It it has existed, but it's accepted at the BBC. But it is, of course, really the most commercial of all of the broadcasters, in my opinion. So they do have an issue with holding on to real people, who in in the in the market could probably command a lot more. Uh, the the 1.5 or 1.4 is is the executive pay for the chief executive plus a bonus the 15 million is being shared out more widely amongst the staff and channel 4 has always had a policy of uh, of, of bonuses because of this issue partly also because it does generate profits usually now i think that n- not everybody is equal in the, in the <laughs> world and for my money alex Alex Mann, the chief executive, who's been there six years, has indeed earned that bonus. And indeed, she had one last year because she managed to hold off privatisation. She managed a very, very difficult task, very trying since 2017, six years of it. And she was able to find a way through, which appears to be working, to actually move a lot of her... both her staff, important staff, and also programming outside of the M25 and delivering what seems to me to be one of the areas that this strange policy of levelling up, which probably is a bit, um, well, I mean, it's probably very difficult to um, execute. I do feel that that is working. I watch Channel 4 News as you might expect, quite a bit. And I have noticed a most distinct change in the mix of programming. And I would say by and large, not always, but by and large, for the better. So in this instance, I think she is special. And I am absolutely certain that she has probably turned away quite a lot mm. of top
1: I mean, I mean, especially when they're in, in the in the throw of privatisation, when I mean, it didn't look that good for, for, for Channel no. 4's, um ongoing kind of public survival. They she could have not. easily abandoned ship and, and gone to a the Super Indie or to, yes. a, to an Apple, couldn't she?
3: She could have done. I mean, she's only the seventh the chief executive. So there's been quite a lot of stability. And she entered into a company where the previous chief executive, David Abraham, had opposed very... very, very very vigorously and perhaps um, maybe too sort of well, loudly um, privatisation, but he had actually got to the point where they had to discuss how they were going to move out of London and how it was done and that was a big sticking point so in a way, the period of sort of uh, uh, 2016-17 became rather sort of arid years and it took a new person to come in and find a way of both talking to government talking to all the interested parties and finding a way through and alex has both huge determination she's very clever uh, but she also has a degree of charm and she can i think uh woo people into her way of thinking and she has delivered that's the thing I would say in very difficult circumstances as we all know all of the broadcasters all of the people in broadcasting a lot of people in the media have had a terrible three years from which they're now recovering or we hope they're recovering so all I'm saying is that sometimes everybody (laughs) has to just calm down a bit and say that in this case this is a real performer and uh, I don't begrudge her any of that money.
1: Uh, well, moving on, uh, GB News has been generating headlines uh, for all the right reasons, i.e. actually breaking news, when it ran an exclusive interview with their host, uh, Eamon Holmes, who previously worked at This Morning. Uh, and what what's Eamon uh, been been talking about on GB News? I missed it, I'm afraid. So I haven't seen the full interview, <laughs> but I've seen the, the reporting
2: about it. And, I mean, this is a great piece of publicity for GB News and for Eamon Holmes because, of course, they're like... Well, we have some tea and we're going to spill it. So uh, Eamon Holmes' uh, perception of his former colleague is perhaps not that high. This time. is his former
1: colleague, Philip oh, Schofield. Philip Schofield, mm.
2: yes. And so uh, there has been a whole load of social media. Barney, there's been... Um, uh, accusations of people perhaps being difficult to work with and I all mean, of this the, has been so the, it made great telly it's a great toxic 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 atmosphere toxic, atmosphere, toxic thing, isn't it, really? atmosphere but again yeah. you sort of have to distill is that amongst yeah. the, the the talent versus the production stuff? because i think i um, yeah. the production stuff that i have with have always been and Then the interviewer
3: was Dan Wooten, who had taken <laughs> yeah. one of the jobs, I think, off Eamon Holmes as well. I think he was uh, one of the uh, nighttime presenters. That, well, well, this, uh, this, this is, this,
1: I mean, it's interesting about, about Eamon. I mean, there's a little bit of me that just goes, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Um, when, when, when you look at the rumours that, that kind of spill around about people who are difficult to work with, I, Eamon himself might, you know, have a little bit of p- previous of this. I mean, he had a, a horrible Barney with Anthea Turner, didn't he, in his G- GMTV days?
3: I, th- I think, th- I, I actually, in this story, I, I almost dismiss Eamon, to be honest, because he's so <laughs> self interested that, you know, we can we can sort of smile about it. Mm. I don't think, and it's interesting, the toxic argument seems to have calmed down a lot. I, I would say, in addition to this, I think this story is completely overblown to be The Philip Schofield story. I do. I think it's wrong, the way it's been dominated. Well, let it let it go into the tabloids and go on and on. But to me, uh, the idea that the uh, culture uh, and, and sport commi- uh, committee of the of parliament are going to actually take a look at this just seems to me entirely wrong. When the select committee has so many more th- important things to do over this kind of. Uh, delayed media bill which really needs sorting out for both the broadcasters and indeed, I would say, for the public and the
1: streamers. I'm not so, sure, I'm not sure what, what, it, what it gives even the politicians to give uh, the chief executive of ITV a bit of a, a bit of a kick in.
3: I just think it's wrong. And I would hope that uh, by next Tuesday, when I think they're due to be meeting where they should be talking about serious industry issues and public service issues, uh, that they may have uh, kind of realised that they're overreaching. It's much more important, really, for ITV itself to question its uh, programming stance and to look at how they run this particular. And these are live. It's a live program. Remember, five times a week, and it's a it's a big responsibility done on low budgets. So we have to, we have to see. If Holly survives as well, if they recast the whole thing, I would predict, though, that it will continue because it's two and a half hours, this, this, mm. this morning show, which uh, fills a lot of live airtime I mean, and has a lot of fans. I mean, Morning television
1: is, is potentially quite cheap, but it can be quite profitable, can't it, of because of, of how much material that they're pumping out a day. Mm. Um, I mean, there has been a huge drumbeat over this. And ITV have uh, don't look great over their normally impeccably hoovered carpet uh, in in the ITV This Morning studio. Um, do you think they have to make some changes? Do a bit of a rebrand? Is Martin Frizell uh, about to to find his way down down the river for to be replaced? Uh,
3: well, I, I can't predict that. Mm. But what I do think is that um, this whole issue uh, should have been, or, or Philip Schofield in particular, should have been. Uh, considered when he actually came out as, as someone who was gay, who uh, didn't admit um, his his relationship with. Um, we're, we're assuming a, a, a young person of age of the right age to be to be uh, a partner, and we don't know really what they're going to do next because they've, they're obviously in the middle of it. What I find interesting is I, I, what I think is going to happen. They will have to go with it with new presenters and I suspect that involves Holly as well because she's very marketable and she certainly wears a good Marks and Spencer's <laughs> dress very well. She, she, she's, uh, so um, yes, I don't think they'll back away from this kind of sequence of uh, a news programme, Lorraine and then th- this morning, it's it, it all kind of fits together quite neatly for them and it's done I i think actually probably from virtually the same studios
1: so yes so it's, it's all at tv yeah. center isn't it and do you think um they can write that with a this morning brand or will they have to um somewhat abandon ship
2: well far be it
1: from me to be cynical
2: <laughs> <laughs> but if hype now obviously i have no proof one way or the other to know which you know rumors about toxic people and toxic culture are mm. true or not and as I say, the only dealings I've ever had with them um, this morning behind the scenes have not involved any of the on-air talent and the production team for the very limited amount of time I was doing some stuff there were uh, really lovely. Um, but let's say you're ITV and you have got hypothetically a presenter that is a little bit difficult because they haven't had made any attempt to try and save him. Mm. Public opinion has turned. This is affecting your brand which may affect your uh, your advertising revenue and your ex- presenter's quite expensive. So it's quite handy <laughs> for him to have spontaneously decided to leave and then who knows if his expensive co-hosts will also decide to uh, that now's the time to do other projects um, but I, I imagine what they're trying to do is to shore up the brand and mm. to make sure mm. that they can keep the brand safe and they've got you know they've had Alison and Dermot yeah. mm. kind of do, just keeping the ship going yeah. so I think if they get it sorted quite soon It'll probably be okay for the This Morning brand as a show.
3: I think so. But but I think one of the interesting things here is that I've been waiting for the head honcho of of the broadcasting television side, uh,
1: uh, Kevin Kevin Ligo,
3: Ligo, yes, to make an appearance.
1: Yes, Um, he's managed to somewhat escape uh, much of... Of, Indeed. The, of the blood being well, spread around the as the Channel lands. 4's uh,
3: historian, I can tell you that in 2007, when Big Brother went all wrong with Shilpa Shetty and all mm. of the arguments about racism and the rest of it, um, he just retreated totally <laughs> and he left the chief executive and the and chairman, mm. Luke Johnson, who was completely out of his depth to try and handle this with, in some ways, an even more toxic row. And, um, uh, but is I, that so the right
1: move? Is that? The, is, is, is this, is well, he's this over time. Well, I, 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 he
3: is—he he is the person who kind of uh, remains,
2: uh, you know, out of the public eye. GB but, News were trying to chase him down the yes. road to get some comments. Or at least they yes. actually had a go. But but, yeah. but
3: but you see, he's actually been in that job since uh, 2010. Mm. So it's 13 years, and. Uh, the kind of deputy on the programming side who runs all the studios, uh, Julian Bellamy, he came over at the same time or a bit later from Channel 4 when he didn't get uh, a particular job there. They both were um, kind of ousted by the new regime of David Abraham in 2010. So I'm seeing history repeating itself and actually uh, I see Caroline... Uh, having the chief executive, having, who I work with at The Guardian, uh, <laughs> uh, coming in to sort of basically clean up mm. and appoint a, bar- a barrister and have a proper review. And I think there is a case for saying that uh, ITV's studio side, although Kevin has built it up brilliantly, and it has, in my opinion, very seamlessly almost been able at a very late moment to both go into streaming with ITVX and to quite neatly change the schedule of ITV1 so that you actually have more factual programming and news, which is cheaper, filling more of the, the, the early evening. And, the, and, and the the stripping,
1: stripping the soaps as well I means right. less prime time to have That's to right. fill. You have to fill, exactly.
3: Material. And of course, you know, I, I, we, I think to be fair, ITVX has, come, has got off to a good start. From a very late, mm. you know, it literally is. Okay, maybe it's the tortoise in the hair, I don't know, but it's, it is doing well. And I think that they will, they're, they're going to have to have a rethink and a bit of a powwow after this. As for Philip, I think he's been a, an extremely good live broadcaster. It's a very, very hard thing to do. He's done it for over 20 years. And I think he's done it very, very well. We may not want to watch Dancing on Ice, but I quite quite like Dancing on Ice myself. And he's he's not presenting, you know, the, the Soap Awards now. And he's obviously, I sup- he's said to be living in Cornwall now, having been to see his mum and his daughters are down there. And I don't think he is... Uh, I, I think he was a, a very popular figure. I don't recognise him in the kind of... Uh, bad mouthing that maybe is going on I actually think he's a man who's having a late middle-aged crisis mm. there's a kind of you know abyss that you can fall into where you probably feel oh I'm not I've not been true to myself so I, I feel a degree of sympathy for him well
1: well Phil there's always a podcast to fill the gap <laughs> if you wanna if you want something to do uh, in in the meantime um, talking about indie production and, and ITV's indie production uh, other indie news TV super indie all three media is up for sale according to the Telegraph That's the producer behind The Traitors and Fleabag. Maggie, could Channel 4 be a potential buyer? Could this be their route into indie production by acquiring uh, a big super indie?
3: Well, it's a very interesting thought. The interesting thing, of course, about Channel 4 now is that it can, apparently, if it gets through the new media bill, uh, make its own productions. This means it can own rights. It's got a a potential uh, way, really, of banking things for the future things that it can draw on because at the moment as you know it's 90% uh, dependent on advertising and of course the advertising market can be you know a little up and down a little up and down particularly at the moment particularly about 4% down is, is what um, they told me when we had an event a few weeks ago
1: well, well all three media uh, its owners are Liberty, Global yeah. and Warner Brothers I mean Liberty Global big investor in ITV mm. um, why are the, the two putting all three media on the block? I don't know um, it could be that they
3: have have decided that they can do make the productions themselves mm. in I ermine mean, has also I mean, remember was, in they, that these, billion- these
1: media companies do change a lot don 't they i mean this they 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 took it on and this is before warner brothers uh um, discovery and the, the yeah. merger um yeah. uh, for them uh and you know Liberty global changed their 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 kind of makeup all, all the mm. time um i mean it's Tough for Automedia because they've had a, a pretty good run of success, haven't they?
3: I don't think it's a, a vote against them being successful. Mm. It could be that in these mergers, people feel they've overpaid and they have to find a way of recouping um, cash. And they may also perhaps take a, a bit of a gloomy view or they, they they think, well, we've got our own studios, we can make our own stuff. And it's interesting that in the lobbying that's going on over Channel 4, uh, being able to make a proportion, it's going to be quite carefully controlled, I suspect, mm. of its own shows and above all keep its its IP. Um, they have been lobbying hard on behalf of small independents, which is, is, is quite extraordinary. So I honestly don't know, but it, there will be a good business reason for it. I don't know who will buy it. I would have thought it would look very wrong, really, for Channel 4 mm. to put in a bid at this moment in time. When... the the, the new regime is is coming into, is being born, but it hasn't been fully born Mm. yet. So you wouldn't want to sort of abort any of that work that's going on at the moment, especially we live in such changeable times. I mean, we're all kind of recovering from things we never thought we would see in our life, like COVID. So I don't know. I do think, though, that you've got to look at the way that there's masses of uh, studio space coming online, including Sky's Mm. a big very big um 14 i think sound platforms um coming uh into use so they're going to look at things strategically and decide how they're going to run quite a bit of british broadcasting
1: Uh, well we've got some more acquisition news after this selling a little or a lot And we're back with Anne and Maggie. Time for some news in brief. Uh, Audio production company Listen has been acquired by European outfit Pod X. Uh, Listen was spun out of the radio indie Wise Buddha back in 2019 and produces shows such as Titting About uh, for Audible. That's with French and Saunders and numerous shows for BBC Sounds too. Uh, And there was kind of some doom and gloom last week uh, about sort of audio acquisitions maybe drying up. I think Dino uh, mentioned this on the podcast. Uh, It's a pretty nice investment and good Good news for good news for listen.
2: Yeah I guess so I mean it's always one of these things when you hear a, a takeover happen and on the one hand you're like oh that's absolutely brilliant that a company's been sold and the people at the top of the company are going to get a, a wodge of cash we hope um, but then there's no detail at the moment as to what it means for the individual staff perhaps at a lower level making programmes whether it's just going to be business as usual and they're being bought because they're really successful and they, they carry on or whether it's going to be a period of uncertainty for them hopefully
1: not. The well, PodX are an interesting group they don't sort of know lots about them so Basically, they were formed uh, to invest in audio production companies across Europe and a bit of Latin America as well. And I think their model is is, is maybe more akin to like a TV super indie, so like having lots of different people uh, across the continent, uh, and then they can sort of share some programs and maybe some translations and things like that. So listeners saying that it's all it's all good news for them and and lots of investment. Um, do you think we're going to see more more of this, or have we have we run out of big audio production companies? Maybe. To, to acquire or, or there's still some people that would like to see some Do we know how much they up. paid for we it? We don't.
3: That's what I would think is a, a crucial thing. If, if you've got smallish uh, podcast companies, you know, looking maybe to luck out. Um, yeah. And this, they may say, is the right time. What I find interesting about um, products actually is that uh, the founders come from Sweden, mm. which is of course where Spotify And Daniel Eck, who uh, thought it up, with his—I don't think his partners involved anymore. So uh, you—you kind of have an. I I think this is something in
1: the water in Sweden. Well, I think it's probably
3: to do with as we we know from the UK, it's about culture in a way, isn't Mm. it? If it's already happening somewhere, Um, and this—I mean—products happened quite a long time ago, as did Spotify people catch on to something and decide, oh, you know, I could do that. What I think is interesting, though, when I looked at it, is that they're not in the United States mm. or Canada, which are big markets. They're looking at, uh, as you said, um, Europe, which is quite well-served, and uh, I think it's Latin America as mm. well. So Australia's out, all the rest of it. And so um, it, it. they're, they're, they're targeting uh, markets which have got a lot of development potential, really, I think without necessarily going for the very you know the very the big lucrative ones uh I, I wish them luck it seems to me that what they're doing is buying uh, a company or resources which actually produce product so they can put it onto their own networks as well so it it, it sort of has a two-way effect really but until we know the price I don't think we can predict very much about anything.
1: I mean, there's definitely something about trying to build scale in the audio sector, which hasn't really Mm. existed a lot outside of the big broadcasters yeah. up to now. I
2: But I think there's potential for perhaps some more um, audio-based production companies to shoot up out of places that we aren't keeping our eyes on, really. Yeah. Um, so we had the podcast show in London um, last week and I think the organiser said they had 10,000 people there. Now, certainly it, I was there for an afternoon. It was busier than any radio show I have ever been to, including mm-hmm. the big global international ones. Um, Even back when Radio had more companies and more people to send to things like it was absolutely buzzing um and there were people that obviously there's lots of people there who are doing their their podcast in their spare time but there were definitely companies there who are looking to invest and for who see that there's potentially some money to be made at the moment um so there's a lot of potential i think for for more businesses to be getting into audio and perhaps businesses with more cash around who perhaps haven't done that traditionally. And also to your point, Maggie, around um, where PodEx has been investing, there's also a huge market and markets in the non-english speaking world and there's a load of really exciting technology floating around at the moment and i guess ai is going to make it even faster to do do the translation work Mm. so that we can if you've got really great content that's in other languages it's actually going to be easier to repackage that for for other markets and which hasn't been possible before so i think there is some potential exciting stuff going on still but it's always that kind of, when does it stop being the bubble and the kind of exciting thing that people are investing in and and how does it turn into a real business? And can you make money out of it really as well? That's the other
3: thing, I mean you know, there's a a huge difference of scale between the really popular podcasts and the ones which are if you like, hobbies. Well Well,
1: well, I'm still waiting for that big money media podcast acquisition, (laughs) I'm sure it's around the corner. Uh, Speaking of audio and money, uh, the UK Audio Network or UCAN uh, has published the results of a pay survey of its users, um, and this is sort of a kind of informal association for sort of audio producers and sound designers. You can um, what did they what did they discover? Yeah, so I think in stark contrast to the oh
2: maybe there's tons of money available in <laughs> <for> podcasting, <laughs> the reality on the ground for audio producers. So they they had a survey. It had a two hundred and nine people involved. It's pretty um, good. It's pretty good. Which examples. is pretty good for a yeah. sample. Um, I, I would love to see the a bit more of the raw data to be able to dig mm. into it. Um, so they've put on their website the results, and the results are. Pretty depressing, though, if anyone's been paying attention to anything in the world at all, ever, um, unsurprising. You say, you say it's in depressing.
1: That- I looked at it, it seemed, it seemed quite
2: funny. <laughs> it seemed, <fine>. really, <laughs> seemed really good, yeah. Yeah, funny why, that. Why was that? <laughs> why, why did the white man go, oh, this is great, because you get paid more than women and uh anyone of any gender of color uh, and that uh, yeah so and what's even more depressing is that although although uh, women who've been in the industry for more than 11 years uh, in 2020 were being paid a bit more than men uh if you look at the survey now they're being paid less than the men were in 2020 yeah <laughs> so it has taken a tumble so across every category um women are paid less and if you are um a person of color, then you are also being paid on average £1,789 uh, less compared to what you would have been being paid in 2020. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's a bit without knowing exactly the methodology of how they're kind of doing salaries and, and things like that, it, it's hard to level it out entirely. Um, it does seem to be as well that men tend to be commanding a higher day rate, um, but uh, the other thing is that the day rates are really quite low. I mean, the mm. audio industry has always
1: been absolutely terrible at paying people who actually make stuff. Um. So when I I kind of look at things, I think there's a really interesting difference often between the radio side and the podcasting side. And I sort of got my fingers in a few different pies uh, around that. And on the podcast side there's definitely more money or there's a, a request from producers at a much higher level yeah. than maybe you'd get in radio.
2: That's good. And also what's a stand what's considered a standard day rate mm. in radio, even compared with someone who hasn't got much experience of doing video and they just like film a conference for a day. I mean I don't mean to denigrate yeah, so she, that as yeah, a profession, yeah. but but it, compared it, to a big broadcast compared, effort that not, might reach
1: millions yeah, of people.
2: Yeah, you know, it's an or uh on the engineering side kind of someone who um like the day rate for just a, a network engineer, an engineer with a basic level of kind of windows understanding or something mm. like that um compared with what a producer of a national or a world world kind of reaching radio or audio podcast with
1: millions of listeners it's it's really bad. It's unlivable, uh, unlivable. Maggie, there's been a lot of reporting of the gender pay gap, and particularly from broadcasters over the last few years since since the law came into effect that they had to do it. Um, do you think there'd be some value with broadcasters getting uh, into a bit more data like you can have and, and looking at... Well, I have
3: a bit of a problem with the UCAN data in that it's sort of self-selecting. And this is the problem, Mm -hmm. I think, with a lot of these surveys, that I always sort of treat them, I'm afraid, with a slight pinch of salt. The thing that jumped out at me, having, uh, for various reasons, um, my... Husband is involved um with some legal things at the moment. That the highest average day pay was four hundred and seventeen pounds, and I can tell you funny. that the lawyer that he's having to use is <laughs> charged is now saying her fees are four hundred and forty pounds an, an hour. hour. Yeah. So I think what what is also happening is that th- there is this unfortunate thing really that, and it's happened in t- in newspapers. And it's starting to go through. Well, it's it's going through all kind of media industries. That we're kind of almost behind the the curve. We're I'm not saying we're the sort of um, weavers in attics in the 18th century who are you know, or or people kind of spinning wool. But I do think that um, there's there's a, a definite problem in some areas of the industries that we work in, media industries, that um, they are in effect in decline, but we don't know that they are. And some parts of radio, like local radio... Mm. The, 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 could well be too and we haven't really arrived at a, a new accommodation and i think i think i think this is a quite serious problem i and when i, mean, I look you, at you, the figures you're
1: talking about s- skills yes, do you think that there I is, is particularly for maybe yes. for for, for people who can, are very good at that thing yes, that they've done historically yes. but the demand for that mm. thing is dropping and do you think no but also so,
3: think of cameras you know for example you know you can do extremely good photos really on an ipad or yes. an iphone and i i i think that we're in a, a very
1: difficult market well and i was talking to some of the bbc local some people in bbc local radio at a variety of levels obviously they're seeing a huge amount of disruption as as that network gets reorganized and there are some kind of new roles that, that are in there things around sort of digital audio and podcasting but someone sent me the job description today uh, and that and that role as well as uh, scheduling things to appear on the BBC Sounds rail locally for a local a local radio station. They're also still responsible for kind of churning out the breakfast trail, uh, doing ad hoc audio production. I mean, it's unlikely that person's going to be able to develop and have the time to do a new podcast series. There is, there is a bit of a danger, um, pick up what Maggie was saying, that we aren't developing the skills of people in some of those businesses that, that need them. Uh, and you know, for BBC Local Radio, it's going to have to have a big change because they, they're going to do a lot of different things to it if you haven't got the skills or the ability to make a success of that change that's not good news for them either is it
2: well so i think there's probably six or seven different issues to unpack there yeah. um i would say maggie to your point um the 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 low pay in the audio industry is not a new thing um at all it's always been horrendous but is that because there's always with- been
1: like a sort of showbiz bonus mm. Well, you've got away te- with not paying more because hey, it's a cool job. No
2: no, I think I think it's also just that everyone's just assumed Telly should pay more and no one's really questioned the kind of and how things have trickled down and or not um in the in the audio side of things. You know, it's it's always been a lot worse, even though arguably to your point about skills, a lot of the time because of the nature of how a radio programme is made, especially for someone who's got a local radio background, mm. they are far more skilled. I like, people in local radio across the board are far far more skilled than people at network often, especially people who've gone straight in, you know, I I have, I came I mean, I'm always very biased because I came up by that route. Anyone who's come from local radio or from a, you know, smaller commercial station or from a podcast where they've had to set it up for themselves is used to being multi-skilled. They are already should be used to being able to do social media and being, you know, web content and cutting up audio for different outlets and for different formats and repurposing it for a podcast or knowing the difference between a podcast production and a live show, like all being able to mix audio being able to cut a video, all of those things. But if I look at BBC Local Radio, there isn't there isn't huge amounts of that. There is some of that. No, okay, but that's because the BBC, as always, is completely bonkers and doesn't ever listen to anyone who knows what they're doing <laughs> at the ground, right? So for years there's been this huge divide in, in BBC Local between the web teams and mm. the and the audio content teams. I even back to when uh, like Radio Norfolk had the first ever local radio website and then there was complete sort of stuff a few years later around no 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 it's the BBC Norfolk website it's not it's not the Radio Norfolk website it's very different we can't you know the idea that you could publish stuff and be in charge of something that's not not going to change
1: if we're being if we're being tough about it that that, that's even in the new system that's preserved in aspect, you talk to people at BBC Local Radio, <laughs> and they say, "Well, we're not still not be able to publish to the to yeah." The, because and, the and instead
2: of taking the talent they've already got and moving them to this new supposed vision for the future, which doesn't feel like a vision, it's just like we've got to save lots of cash. Um, yeah, so like that whole thing's been handled. Everyone, everyone who's watching the process, I think, would agree that the way that that's been handled has been awful. But it, it comes back to there's this perception that if you can do audio only and you don't have pictures even though everyone who works in audio knows how to do with pictures nowadays Mm. somehow that's fine to pay you less even though you can probably deliver an entire show and transcribe it and know what metadata is and um and yet if you were to do an equivalent role in an advertising agency or in a television company or in film you would be paid more and that's that's the problem, and I agree with you, Maggie. It's really depressing, but it is it is very difficult to encourage people into this industry. Even though we desperately need more people in, there's absolutely a gap for um, technical talent. I, I can, can tell be, you yeah. about that. All right now, um, and yes, as as companies decrease the number of staff they need or want to have, you're going to have a reduction in diversity, and you need you need people coming in to be trained up so that then to provide that pipeline of fresh ideas and 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 to provide your managing directors of the future right and if we're stopping doing that then that is a warning sign for the industry well
1: obviously the key skill that anybody in the media industry needs to learn is the ability to play the media quiz uh, <laughs> oh i th-
2: thought you were going to say sign
1: up to patreon <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you, can, you can of course do that at <laughs> patreon.com slash media pod but the media quiz is here uh, this week entitled backed left or axed Uh, I'll name a person with a media profile just concentrate Uh, I'll name a person with a media profile you tell me if this week they were backed Mm -hmm. they've left or was sacked Uh, remember this is just a format point to discuss media stories right it's not meant to be as callous as it sounds Uh, right Matt Matt tells me I need to say that right that said uh, you're competing so you need to buzz in with your name if you think you know the answer Uh, so Anne will say Uh Anne and Maggie you'll say Maggie right here we go question number one remember we're looking for (sighs) backs left or axed Uh, number one Sarah Ferguson's media company Gate Ventures it's
3: not backed, it, Buzz in with Maggie, your name. Maggie. Maggie, <laughs> it's not backed. A- it's been axed. It's axed, <laughs> axed yes.
1: This is a firm which was chaired yeah. at one point by Michael Gray. Yes,
3: indeed. I'm very interested in that because, of course, he's chairman of Ofcom.
1: He is. He's a rather a- mismatched. Uh, uh, doesn't really mention down. his old Duchess work. Um, uh, it's had. It, they've had it with investors uh, because they're lining up to sue the Duchess of York, who is on the hook for 19 million pounds.
3: Well, what happened, I think, is that um, they. Obviously, when you're starting a new venture with apparently respectable and <laughs> experienced people, um, they uh, paid some of the people involved, obviously took money and fees. And then they, they didn't actually, I think, produce any hits. I, I seem to remember there was definitely something at the Eno um, Theatre which I think flopped. And um, a, a great disillusion and, as you say... Uh, quite a lot of million pounds flushed away somewhere.
1: <laughs> Who'd have thought a Sarah Ferguson-backed media venture didn't do quite so well? well uh, it's,
3: it's interesting that I, I, I found it... I, I do remember Michael Grade getting involved in this and I thought, I wonder if this is going to work because his business, a track record is, you know, it's been up it's and down. Mixed. It's
1: mixed. Well, as in a lot of creative mm. industries. Right, question number two. Uh, Jeff Stelling. Anne. Um,
2: Yes. I can't remember which of the words is clo- uh, <laughs> Backed, left, Left. Left or axed.
1: Left. He has left. Do you know where he has left? Uh, he has left
2: Sky Sports, I think. it's yes.
1: Football-y he stuff. Uh, he's he, done,
2: done it, doing it for a very, very long time. And now he's uh, retired. Yes, is yes, there
1: walking away from Soccer Saturday. Um, uh, finally, because he kept pushing back his um, his date of leaving. Maybe it was Comcast. Cost of living kept, crisis, maybe Just down you know? more cash uh, in, in front <laughs> well, of him. Well,
2: quite a big fixture him in his own yeah. right wasn't he really and yeah. apparently elton john phoned him at home to say good luck oh,
3: did oh that's <laughs> yeah, nice that's
1: sweet it's using a lot of the original formats and hosts yeah. that sort of define sky sports um are being retired is it just a, a sign of traditional development or have they got a bit of a, a talent hole themselves well they've
3: got a new owner in comcast mm. haven't they and i mean that's i think the key defining thing they probably overpaid for it and um, they they are said to be considering selling. I think it's either Germany or Italy. I'm not quite sure.
1: Okay, Chris, number three uh, Formula E commentator Jack Nichols. What's happened to Jack?
2: Which one's left?
1: <laughs> Backed, left, or axed? Um, <laughs> I don't know who I he can't is. Remember. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: well, uh, he has been axed. Uh, this is Jack Nichols, uh, sacked by Formula E following complaints of inappropriate behaviour towards women. But at the time of recording, he's still working for IMG. Uh, they're the ones who provide the F1 contract for five live a show that he works on. Uh, but he's meanwhile he's stepped back from his BBC work whilst they investigate. Uh, right, so a point each, I think, so a draw. A draw. Um, so collectively, your prize is to des- decide Sky Sports' new talent lineup. So if you can come back with us next oh, week, I mean,
2: we'll be here on Saturday when we make it. It's I fine. It. Yeah can it
1: be? <laughs> uh, my thanks to Maggie Brown and Charles. Uh, where can listeners uh, keep up with your fine work, Anne?
2: Uh, I am AnneCharles.tv that's Anne without an E and I am still just about hanging on in there on Twitter at C. Uh, and Maggie, how can
1: people hear what you're doing? Uh,
3: well, I occasionally appear in print in The Guardian. Most recently obituaries is my specialty at the moment, so I am doing one or two other things. I, 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 I take an interest in uh welsh media in particular mm. at the moment where there's quite a bit going on and i also take an interest in everything else really and the books are still available oh yes they are my two channel four histories, a license to be different which is the first and probably the best one which <laughs> <laughs> yes, i recommend the other one i say a bit behind my uh my 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 and is uh, yes, um, Channel Four, which is from Big Brother to the Great
1: British Bake
3: Off. So nice. it's, it's I, I did get some royalties just recently. Oh, so not 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 to make me rich, but it made me feel wanted.
1: I do have a copy of my bookshelf. Uh, oh, thank you both. Good. And thank you for joining us today as well. If you're enjoying our new YouTube channel, uh, you'll know that the London Podcast Studios are the place to record your next podcast, complete with a full 4K rig and an enviable central London location. Just head to thelondonpodcaststudios.com. Uh, there's a link in the show notes as well. Uh, remember to tell your colleagues about the show uh, in person, uh, around the water cooler, uh, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, uh, wherever you'd like, uh, maybe just point them to podfollow.com slash music. Media podcast uh, and they can go and subscribe in the app of their choice. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production and I'll see you next week. Hold up.